Mic check, one, two, one, two. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Welcome back, everybody, to episode two of Teach Him Podcast. I am your host, Marquez P. Davis, creator of this amazing platform. And I'm just honored and excited to have um, a very intelligent and very talented educator who happens to be a black male, much like myself, on the line with me um, for this episode, for this installment of Teach Him Podcast. This episode is called Equity matters and when we look around in the world around us today and we kind of just look at the state of schooling especially in this country the united states of america and just perspective and the ways in which those who hold the power to make things happen choose and decide of um decide um on behalf of education uh it kind of raises a question about um, you know what is the priority? What is the goal? What are what are what are we trying to achieve as a nation when it comes down to our educational system? There are consistent shifts and constant um, changes to the way in which um, our youth are asked to um, receive and uh, utilize information that's being given to them. Uh, just a whole lot of different things, guys. So this is just the introduction. I'm gonna stop being selfish. I'm gonna introduce my guest. None other than Justin C. Smith, my brother. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on, Marquez? I am doing well. Uh, just, you know, this this life that we live is it's pretty tough. You know, it gets to you at times. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm making it happen. I really want you to introduce yourself to the listeners. I'm excited to have you on with me uh, this time around. And I just can't wait to um, dive into our topic. I already kind of gave it away. We're talking about equity. <laughs> Um, something that I know you, you, from my view at least, are a master of. And we'll dive into what that looks like a little bit later. But just tell the people a little bit about yourself, and we'll get this thing started. Okay, well, my name is Justin C. Smith. Um, I'm an educator in um, the Cap County School System. This is my seventh year teaching, and I've taught from pre-K through fifth grade. Um, my goal, ultimately, in the classroom is just to ensure that all students meet the needs of the standards and me being able to teach them those standards in a variety of ways. Okay. Okay. Where is the cab County, Justin? Um, the cab County is in Atlanta, Georgia. There it is. There it is. Uh, the ATL is in the building. So episode one, um, I spoke to my brother, Michael driver who, um, was in New York at the time. And now got a brother from Atlanta. So to my listeners out there, hopefully you can see how, we're moving across the nation to um, gain perspective from um, different black men on pressing topics and issues that concern um, our society, um, our state of education, just a lot of different things. But anyway, so Justin, yes. here at Teaching Podcast, uh, we have something called the Sacred Apple. And the concept behind the Sacred Apple is, is as simple as this. Um, back in the 1800s, way back when um, in, in a foreign countries. Um, poor families used to uh, provide teachers with baskets or barrels of apples as a form of payment for the education that their child was receiving from that teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, we we now today use um, the symbolic apple or the apple as um, a synonymous symbol for education. Um, We have emojis of apples and many people use them in place of saying, like, I'm a teacher or I'm an educator. I just put an apple and that automatically represents that idea. Um, Here at Teaching Podcast, I wanted to take that idea 
and and um, the concept behind it that uh, speaks to the idea of giving um, and kind of switch the recipient. So I, the teacher, will no longer be receiving the apple, but I'm giving the apple to someone. Right. Because I believe in this work that we do, we're, we're continuously gifting our scholars and the people who we cross paths with. We're gifting them with different things that will help them become stronger and better. So for me, my apple represents voice and vision because that's a gift that I always want to impart on somebody else. If I can't get you to learn how to read, if I can't get you to solve a math problem, I want to be able to activate your voice and to kind of help nourish um, and provide nutrients and um, provision for your vision. I want to help you develop those things. And if you don't walk away from, from me with anything else, I want those two things to be the, ones, to be the things that I, that I provide for you. What would your apple represent? What is your gift? What is your nutrients that you are giving out to the world, to the people that you cross paths with, to your scholars? Yeah. Um, I would say that my apple represents style um, from personality to learning styles. Are you a visual learner? Are you, you know, a kinesthetic learner? I would definitely, yeah, I would definitely say that my, my apple will represent style, just giving them a variety of ways to learn, not limiting, in the, not limiting them to just one particular learning style. Okay, excellent. So style. Um, and that kind of helps segue us right into where I wanted to go next. So um, for those who know you, um, we know that we often can um, click on our Instagram app and um, we're sure to find something new that you have taught your scholars um, and we're able to, we're privy to, to, to watch what it is that they are experiencing um, in your classes. And when I, when I see your instruction um, unfolding, I see I think of a lot of different things. I think of I think about differentiation, which I think you do a very great job at. I think of um, style, as you just alluded to um, and just spoke to. Um, you, you're catering to the different styles of learners, which is also known as differentiating, um, you know, instruction or differentiating independent practices. Um, but what I also see um, is a large number of black and brown babies who you have the pleasure of. Um, of working with on a daily basis. I see joy um, in those same black and brown babies who you have the um, opportunity and have access to every single day. I see levels of commitment and determination. I see goals and people who are trying to really reach something that they know is attainable is because you've, 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 you've set it up that way. What I also see in your, par in your particular um, way of of instructing is something that we as a nation have been speaking so heavily to, but I've yet to see the action put behind it. And that's equity. Um, when, when I think of equity in education, I think of, I automatically think of equality, right? Right. I think of something that is fair, something that is um, measurable um, by definition, educational equity it's a measure of achievement, fairness, and opportunity in education. Um, and the study is often linked with the study of excellence and equity, which basically just measures, you know, how well people perform. 
how well people receive information and how well they put those two things together to ultimately showcase themselves as a scholar. Um, When I think of equity, again, the the core definition for me is fairness. Definitely. And the measurement of said fairness. Um, It's puzzling. And I, I spoke to this in episode one as well. It's puzzling to me how privilege operates so heavily in our educational climate today, where I can be of a privileged or of an um, affluent community and an affluent educational system, but think so much of myself to go into a probably not so affluent and not so well off school district and area and community and begin to write the rules and regulation that govern how those children will perform, how those children will receive information. Um, but I think what we're always shy of in making those, when those decisions are made is the idea of equity. Am I making this fair? Is it something that can be measured? Or is it something that can be successfully um, achieved given all of the communal um, aspects, given all of the environmental aspects, the developmental aspects, just all of the different pieces to the puzzle that can pose issue or pose opportunity. All right. That's a long spiel. But yes. I say all of that to ask. <laughs> I have to build up to it. I say all of that to ask, how do you, because I don't even know you, I don't, I don't even know if you think of it this way, but how do you ensure equity in your instruction when you're planning and when you're thinking about just what you want scholars to walk away with, how do you make sure that it's still equitable? Okay, so as far as equity in the classroom, or my classroom in particularly, um, what I do is I I typically base it first off of their data, whether it's from the previous year. Um, I look at those results. I also look at the results from their current year um, and kind of group my students to um, meet the needs for whatever particular um, skills they may be lacking. When it comes to equity, as far as the grouping, um, I give them a variety of ways to learn, whether it's um, independently, because as we know in our workforce, as they get older, they're not gonna always have someone to work with them. Sometimes they may work by themselves. So just giving them a, um, a sense of independence as far as if they're in a paired group or Um, If they're working in a pair or working in a group with someone, we have that in the workforce as well. So providing them with those opportunities to learn, whether it's me picking someone that they work with or them picking a friend who they may feel comfortable with so that they can still learn not only from me, but learn from their peers. I just try to ensure that I give them any skills that they need um, to be successful that's ultimately ultimately my goal to to ensure that they are successful in their current grade and future grades, not limiting them to just the standards of that particular grade because everyone is in on grade level, but you have to help build them up to where you want them to be, not keeping them stagnant. Um, my, my goal isn't to keep any of my students stagnant. I want to see all of them further intellectually. That's a good point. I think perspective leads a lot of effort um, when we think about equity in education. And um, there's a lot of power that's held within 
how we view our scholars and um, their potential. Um, what we what we say to ourselves about the, the youth that we have an opportunity to work with. Um, and it's important that we approach our work with a growth mindset. All right. So as an educator today, I can definitely attest to learning a lot about equitable instruction or equity existing in my instruction as an educator. That's something that I am continually working on and working toward, but I admire how I see it happening for you or happening with you, better yet. And even as um, us, I'm sorry, even as us no. both being educators, um, if we are to instill or if we are to provide and ensure that equity is happening in the classroom through our students, as educators, we have to practice equity, not only within ourselves, but with our colleagues to ensure that we are fair, to ensure that everything around us and everything within the classroom provides that equity and equality for our students. I have another question for you. Okay. Okay. So way back when, um, around the time in which um, people of color entering education or going to school was becoming a thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were in the midst of segregation still, so schools are still segregated. But the idea and the conversation around integration was on the rise. Um, my good brother, W.E.B. Du Bois, raised the, the notion or asked the question of the state of the Negro in education in the, I guess, in the midst of the idea of integrating schools, whether or not that framework was going to be, um, I guess, assisting us to in furthering ourselves or if it was going to serve as a crippling factor and as a crutch to us as we continue to try and develop intellectually. So, and um, in more recent years, so he raised that question kind of just like, hey, I understand the idea of wanting to, wanting all of our kids to go to school at the same time, same place. You know, we don't want to be separate. However, let's also consider all that has happened and whether we're setting ourselves up for success or whether this whole integration and equal opportunity idea in education is going to just further set us back. Right. When we look years ahead, we're now in 2018 and culturally relevant instruction and culturally relevant and um, curriculum and all this other stuff is now like all the rave, but no one is doing it right, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, because like I said in episode one, it's hard for you to say that you're trying to teach a, a culturally relevant into, uh, curriculum when the youth who are, who are receiving the instruction are of the culture, but you're telling them that their culture is wrong. So how relevant is the curriculum that you're instructing on to the culture of the students whom you're instructing? That's always been my question. Just like, hey, can we use another terminology? Because I think that's, it's baffling that you're saying it's culturally relevant, but we're also condemning the culture that facilitates who these children are today. Exactly. Um, but many people are now um, wondering like, hey, do maybe we need to segregate schools again maybe we need to have black schools and white schools because that was the boss idea like may, do, like is it a bad thing that we have black and white schools because fundamentally we haven't been getting all that they were getting all along anyway 
And now we're starting to see data showing us a further divide. Um, just the, the ways in which schools are being developed and popping up everywhere and the ways in which resources are allocated and just the whole nine. Some schools have to have uh, law enforcement officers existing within their school, like as a staff member, while others don't. Have we gotten away from the idea of closing the achievement gap and ensuring equity for everyone? Um, how do we, where do we start with that? Mm. As far as closing the achievement gaps, that, <laughs> that topic by itself is, um, very, very, a very touching subject, um, especially when you have to put all factors into play of the students that you're teaching culturally. Mm -hmm. um, just as an example, many of my students are either living with grandparents um, where mom and dad is not, they're not active in their lives or living with one parent, but that parent may be struggling or trying to find ways to make ends meet or going back and forth between parents where one may be incarcerated, one gets out, goes back. It's, it's really hard to say how can we close the achievement gap when we have so many factors. I would say that um, focus Focus on the gaps, of course, in the classroom and ensure that your student grows each year. We are not going to um, close every achievement gap that the students have. But as educators, our goal should be to make or make a list of goals that you would like to help that student close. Um, whether it's reading, whether it's fluency, we're reading, we have so many different factors. Um, it could be phonetical awareness. It could be phonemics. It could be um, fluency. It could be comprehension. We have to figure out what is it that we want a particular goal to target, mm -hmm. target that, <laughs> that particular goal. And if they meet or once they meet that goal, move to another goal. Um, that's not, like I said, that's not closing the achievement gap. But however, we're working toward the progress of getting that to be getting them to be better students. I, I definitely, like I said, I definitely can't say um, we're going to close achievement gaps when we have so many cultural factors that fall into play. When we look around, we see many people our age and even younger. Uh, we're both in our twenties for those wondering, <laughs> um, but our age and, and people younger who are rallying to the call for action on educational equity. Um, on, uh, we also see other movements and efforts that shift the idea and our views to believing that um, black educators matter, that representation is important, that um, being able to look at a text and identify someone who looks like me will somehow drive right. uh, my, uh, my willingness to commit to this thing called learning um, as a person of color. Um, I guess my question is, do you believe as we look around and see all of the advocacy and all of the efforts that are going on 
um, the groups that are being formed, the, um, the the conferences that are being held, do you think we are on? We are we are experiencing the dawning of a new renaissance when it comes to um, to people of color in the educational setting or just the the state of education um, as it pertains to people of color. Do you think we are on the the dawning of a renaissance? We're, we're about to start something new. Um, do you think we have that power? Do you think we have as a generation, do you think we're we're informed and um, involved enough to really spark at least the beginning of change that is needed for the holistic trajectory of education? Absolutely. Um, and the reason why I say that is because many of many of the educators or you know educators of color, we typically don't do. Um, what is, I guess, pretty much suspected in the classroom as far as um, just the kids just learning at the desk, sitting down, not really moving around, getting the opportunity, you know, to use their voice. We take things in a different route. Um, and what mm -hmm. I say by that is whether it's teaching them outside with the lesson, um, whether it's video chatting um, with them to teach them a lesson in a small group, whether we, um, it, I know in my, in my classroom, we used um, computers and Chromebooks or, or Chromebooks and iPads. So with that being said, what I did was I collaborated with another teacher that's on the fifth grade team because we're not departmentalized. And as I'm teaching a small group, she had recorded a video so that she could be teaching another small group just so that they can get a different teacher's perspective so just thinking outside of the box, I, I feel like a lot, of, a lot of us are thinking outside of the box to ensure that our students are, are growing, um, to ensure that our students get different types of experiences. And I, I, I honestly would have it another way. Like if when I was in school, these things were happening, I feel like a lot of us would be more be more receptive to the things that are happening in the classroom opposed to saying well this is not the typical way of teaching or your students should be doing this this particular way no student mm -hmm. is the same no student is the same no student learns the same everybody is different so you have to create that environment for them and i feel like we're doing that i would have to definitely agree um, <clears throat> when I first started the, um, teaching podcast, Instagram page, I was blown away by all of the dynamic, um, instructional models that I was seeing executed by so many black educators and many of the millennial mm -hmm. educators at that, um, I'm following and subscribed to a lot of different blog posts for ideas of ways to do like differentiated learning centers and guided reading practices, just all of those different things that, that help to provide the equitable experiences to our scholars that the system that the system neglects to do and um this past summer <clears throat> while studying with columbia university i had an opportunity to really really get a deep dive perspective into what the systematic makeup of the educational whole dynamic really is and it doesn't really make me feel great about myself as an educator because I'm in a way perpetuating that same systematic idea, but mm -hmm. I'm also kind, kind of, um, but I'm also in it because I want to combat the things that I don't believe in. Absolutely. Okay.
combat the things that have served as hindrances for, for myself and others. And, you know, um, also combat the things that I see um, my, 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 my scholars being exposed to and having to, um, having to um, subscribe to. Um, and, those are, and, and they happen to be things that do not serve them intellectually. Um, what I do see happening, and I, I want to agree with you on the um, on us potentially being on the dawning of a renaissance in in the educational um, landscape as it pertains to black and brown babies. I want to agree with you that I believe we are in that space. We're moving in that correct direction, um, and I'm seeing more and more um, millennial and just black authors writing children's books that tell the stories that we know that our youth today would be captured by right. that would help to regain or initially gain their interest in, um, in literacy. Um, we're incorporating figures that they're familiar with, such as black Panther into right. our everyday learning practices. And we're utilizing, so we're, you know, we're, we're infusing a lot of intellectual um, ideology and language but we're doing it in a way that is culturally relevant. The way in which the people who write curriculum probably should consider. Exactly. Um, what I'm what I'm what I'm hearing and what I'm learning from from just this conversation, not this conversation alone, but this conversation and those that I've had with others around this topic, is that in order for equity to be infused into our educational framework and landscape and makeup we the teachers have to be the ones that bring that to the table um at least that's where we are today i don't think it's fair <laughs> but it's I not also, but hey <laughs> but i also look at it from from a, from a standpoint of if not us then who you know what i'm saying yep. um it also kind of makes me wonder if Going back to that to that idea about um to the idea that that um that Dubois um so profoundly uh, touched on, it also makes me wonder if we fought so hard to integrate schools, only to realize that we're much better without the integration. The integration. <laughs> um. Like I said, this is a mind-boggling topic, and I can continue going on and on and on because we know there's layers on top of layers on top of layers of cultural differences that kind of speak to the need for culturally relevant instruction in communities such as the one that I know you serve in um, Southwest Atlanta. Uh, well, and then definitely, uh, well, you're actually what Southeast Atlanta. I'm sorry, Southeast. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you're Southeast Atlanta, and then the community that I serve down here in Southeast Dallas. Um, and then just so many others across the nation who I've had an opportunity to speak to who are we're, we're serving lower income inner city schools and families. Um, and I think, honestly, our efforts are, are our efforts will be a lot better off without the, the without the extra noise. Um, so my question, I guess, for the listeners out there and y'all can engage me on Instagram um, once this podcast episode drops what would it look like if we were to go back to segregated schooling? Hmm. What would we be developing and building for our future in terms of our youth um, if we were to readopt the separatist model of learning? Would we, because we're now technologically advanced, we now have access to everything that everybody else has. 
Um, to an extent, there's still certain things that we don't. Ain't nobody gonna sit here and act like we just fully free and just whatever. But in a 2018 type of world, if we were to resegregate just schools for the purpose of learning and development that would be um, conducive to the communities in which we're serving, do we feel like scholars, communities, societies would be better off that way? Do we feel like as a black community, we'll be more progressive because our education wouldn't be so fleshed out with all this information about people and ideas and things that have nothing to do with who we are? Do you think we would be advanced mm. because we'll be receiving more of ourselves in the things that we're reading and experiencing and learning? And it will give us a truer sense of self. So as we develop as a, as we develop into adults from childhood, we now walk and speak and think differently because we have an assured identity of our own that no one else can have, that no one else has created for us. So with that being said, um, do you feel that hmm. schools would be better off um, separate? Or do you feel that if the schools continue to be the way that they are, we as people, we as African-American educators, teach other, other races how we learn so that they can adapt to our learning system opposed to separating? Well, so here's my thing with that, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that you asked me that question because another discovery that came out of my experience with Columbia this past summer was the fact that I, that um, we as a people of color, as people of color, black people, I want to just, just name it. We as black people, we know so much about every other race, especially um, especially like our Caucasian counterparts. We know so much about their world so much about their culture. They know nothing about us. So you teach them. Um, and everything that they think we are is what they show us. Um, everything that we once upon a time did have and everything that did make us who we are, um, they now um, appropriate, <laughs> if you will. Um, I honestly, and many, many may disagree with me, but I honestly don't think we would be very bad off if we did separate schools. Not for the idea. <laughs> not, not for the, not, but I'm, but hear me out. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Saying, not for the idea of just, here's a black school, here's a white school, but I'm thinking about how many years we have been robbed of quality in our education. And the only time we received a quality educational experience was when it was being facilitated by someone who looked like us because they cared enough to make sure that, or they cared enough and knew that we deserved that. So I, growing up in private school, I received everything that everybody else did. And I was fortunate, but if I would have been if I would have been faced with a lot of the things that my own students today are faced with, I don't know if I would have really succeeded um, in that realm like I did back then. But I did have one teacher 
of color, before, like in my lower elementary years, her name was Miss Covington. And she taught me in ways that I had never experienced because she was the only black teacher I had ever had. And in the same school building, I had been attending school for so many years, that one class, that one classroom teacher shifted the paradigm for what my entire educational career would look like thereafter. And, and, and listening to your experience, my experience was the complete opposite. Uh-huh. So um, most of my elementary school teachers were African-American, starting from kindergarten. In elementary school, I remember having one um, Caucasian teacher. And she, I guess with her working in the building of most, mostly African-American teachers, the things that I learned in their classrooms, in my African-American teachers' classrooms, were, the, were similar to the things that I learned in her classroom. So my experience with, um, was different from yours in the sense of I felt, even when I was around that particular teacher, I still felt a sense of comfort as, and I still felt a sense um, pretty much of dignity that I knew once I entered her classroom that the sky was the limit. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have to feel like because I was African-American that she wouldn't teach me well, or I didn't have to feel like because I was African-American, she was going to, you know, discipline me in ways that I had never been disciplined before. I never experienced that. Mm. No, definitely. Definitely. And I, I mean, I, I haven't either. I want to put that out there. I went, to, I went to really great schools coming up. But um, in hindsight, being able to look back at it, I can now I can define I can see the, 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 the fine line and the differences um, in those types of, you know, those two different educational experiences for me. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they took place in the same building. And I have been going to school that I've been going to school there for umpteen years prior to me meeting Miss Covington. Um, but I do, I do like just looking at the way in which education is framed today. And I'm not saying that it needs to be a forever thing. And I mean, I don't have any power to make any laws or anything. <laughs> but from my lens, just seeing how far we have come and how long it has been happening that, our, that, our, that black and brown babies and lower income communities are underserved. I think we will be better off with our own schools because off the reason I say that is because those who sit at the table who happen to be decision makers, majority of the time are not people of color. And even if there are people of color at the table, how much opportunity do they have to speak up and advocate for themselves without being outnumbered or thrown away? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So (laughs) this is a tough, this is a tough, tough, it's a battle, um, it's a battle conversation so even even just i'm listening to what you're saying but think Mm -hmm. about this or i want you to just you know yeah think about it if we were to um segregate schools again pretty much what about the resources that we do have while we are integrated just 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 think about like if we were mm -hmm. to separate schools do you know how many um, grants we probably would have to write as teachers or or how many um you know whether whether it's grants whether it's a um you just asking someone for support whether it's us having technology in the classroom what if those things were taken out once schools are separated 
and we utilize technology a lot now. If those, if we separated schools, what if those things were taken out of our buildings where we had to do what we're doing now as far as, cre yeah, we, we create lessons to meet the needs of our students, but we also integrate technology and we also yeah. have a limited amount of resources and we also have professional development opportunities within the, the school district. Then, then we have to create a whole different system in, in ways to get funding for our schools. Well, what if we utilize the powers that be that are in place that already serve as advocates for schools such as the ones that we work in, who have already been the people at the vanguard making sure that our resources and funding were secure so we could operate as schools? I don't think with the shift of us moving to like just separate but equal schools would change who advocates on behalf of who. I don't think so. I, I get, but I don't have the I don't have the power to control the minds of those people. Um, but I would believe that the reason they go so hard for the schools that they go so hard for is because there's a level of connectivity and and relevance um, to you know to those schools. I I, I do not know. Okay, <laughs> but what I'm saying, I would love I would love to live in a world where I didn't have to sit and watch babies continually be underserved because of, and I, I mean, this is, and it's, it's hard to reduce it to this, but because of where they go to school and or the community that they're a product of, or, you know, um, often, I mean, and many would think that companies in a local, like local businesses and companies within a community would want to contribute to that community because you're monopolizing off of it anyway. That would be the goal, uh, want, or that will be you what would want to make sure that you're poor. Exactly, you want to make sure that you're pouring your money, your dollars, your resources into that community, so you then would have a helping and working hand in, in building more workers for your company to continue to thrive in said community, and that your your business is not suffering from its ex, its existence there. Um. So yeah, I I just want to <laughs> live in a I want to live in a world where I where, where kids are not discriminated like. Where education is something that everyone has access to and access to it fairly. It's, it's, it's equally measured across the board. I agree. I think equity does matter. Equity, equity does matter. Now, yeah. even with us, utilize, or, or us talking about equity and we have, if we, if we were to separate schools or mm -hmm. segregate schools um, and we have that one Caucasian or two Caucasian student who identifies with our community, our culture. If we are talking mm -hmm. about equity and equality, then are we not supposed to allow that student to enter the school of all African-American students where mm. that's where he connects? Are we supposed to send him to a school where there are all Caucasian students and he don't connect, he or she doesn't connect? So we have to really put all of those things into play because mentally and culturally that that child may connect with the African-American culture because yeah. that's where he was brought up or he or she was brought up. So we have to put all of those things into play. That's that's why I. I guess I guess question why, why would we separate schools again? Because there are kids that are African-American who, you know, connect more with 
the Caucasian lifestyle or Caucasian um, background. And then there's Caucasian students and Hispanics and, you know, who connect with the African-American culture. So we have to think about those things. If we really are going to talk about equity and equality, we have to think about those things as a whole. Mm. You know, what I love about this whole podcast thing is that I get a chance to bring the best out of people. <laughs> no, I'm really glad. This is that interesting. That. I'm really glad that you said that because I love playing devil's advocate. Now, anybody who knows me naturally knows that I am all against segregated anything. Because I believe in having my cake and eat it too, and I don't know who in the world made anybody the king and queen of the universe and tell me that I can and cannot do whatever. Right. However, theoretically, when we look at, like I said, the years of neglect, the years of quality depreciation, the years of just everything going against the people who we happen to identify with in the educational landscape, I think sometimes it would benefit us to kind of take take the reins by our, by our own hands and control how that thing happens because that's the only levels of success and equity that we've been able to see in, um, in most recent years, I would say. Um, but no, I would never want to demonize a child because of where they, you know, where they relate culturally, mm-hmm. nor would I want to become an off-putting contributor to the demise of their own educational experience. Um, again, I just want the quality to be equal. <laughs> Absolutely. If we talk in equity, then let's let's let you know, like let's make sure that our educational, um, that our instruction and our educational quality is equitable, that it is accommodating, because it it also goes back to culture. So if we're talking about culture being culturally relevant, what culture are we representing in the in the curriculum that you're providing to these black and brown babies, calling it culturally relevant curriculum? Like whose culture are you representing? I, my culture don't do this type of stuff. And and I definitely agree with you on that. When it comes to um, what, even when it comes to stand, just standards and some of the yeah. tasks, the performance yeah. tasks that are given, um, I don't think that it connects with our students. So it it's more of a challenge for us as educators to create something that they can connect with, um, whether it's them loving music and you have to incorporate a rapper or a singer into a word Mm -hmm. problem and how many concerts they went to or um, this person did this amount of concerts and this many locations. You have to think outside of the box to make them connect um, to whatever particular skill it is. And I find myself, when I say I find myself doing that so often Mm -hmm. where, um, we have to write out a lesson plan, a weekly lesson plan yeah. for our students. And if I start on Monday with that lesson plan and I notice that my students need to change, guess what? I have to change, change that lesson plan yep. for the whole week or yeah, for that next adapted. day to ensure that my students get that skill. So it, it's, it's always a change. It's, it, I just feel like it's always going to be a change we're always going to have to find ways to connect with our students, whether African-American, Caucasian, Hispanic, or other ethnicities. We have to figure out pretty much just what meets the needs for them and how can we as educators ensure that they are learning, ensure that they have different ways to learn, ensure that we provide them with experiences that they can remember. Mm-hmm. I agree. I definitely, definitely agree. Um, I guess my question would be to you now that we're moving along in the conversation. Uh, we know that equity matters. 
We know that um, quality of education should be equal across the board, no matter what community you come from, no matter what your um, environmental landscape may be made of, no matter who your parents may have been, what they do, what they don't do, whether you come from a trailer park or a mansion sitting on top of a hill, you should all be receiving the same quality of education. That is the end goal. Absolutely. Um, what resources, with you being such a resourceful planner um, and educator, um, what resources would you um, privy our listening audience to for those who are wondering, like, well, where do I get started with creating um, either culturally relevant instruction or just equitable learning experiences for my for my kids if I have to do it on my own where do I start okay oh wow um there are so many resources I really there's so many resources but one resource that I really and I truly love for reading um it's called News ELA and it provides students with all different types of articles um Current articles, old articles, relatable articles, um, speaking on topics from the, the previous Nike ad with Colin Kaepernick to the kids loving playing games like Fortnite. And it, it gives them a range of things to view as far as reading and it gives them comprehension questions and it gives them um, writing writing assignments It get and, and it's lakes out level. So. I could have one student that may be reading on a 1100 Lexile level where another student may be reading on a 500 Lexile level, but they're reading the same article, just different content as far as the level and wording. So that's one that I really love for reading. Um, for mathematics, um, I really love, I love Prodigy and I love Education Galaxy because it gives the kids a problem it makes them think about those problems, but it also gives them a break in between each problem to, you know, to play a game. And once they once they complete that game, they go straight back into their task. So it, it helps me um, with my students when they're in small groups because I don't have to deal with a lot of behavior issues um, because they get that outlet of I'm getting my academics, but I'm also getting free time to um, play a game in the midst of me working on that particular skill. So those two, those are my two favorite as far as um, reading and mathematics. As far as social studies and science, I'm really, really, really hands on. I just love doing things where, you know, I create an experience for them, um, whether whether it's a, a hands on project in classroom or a, a video message where they get to, you know, speak out on whatever it is that they love, partic particularly to um, the standard that I'm teaching. And there's this um, one other resource that I really love, too, is it's called Let's Recap. So the students are given a particular question from their teacher. And from that question, they have to either record a video response or an audio response. And um, you can view that. The teacher gets to view it. Other students get to view it. And I like my students to give constructive criticism or, fee or feedback to their peers so then they know what it is that they need to work on. Um, and that really helps as far as communication. It helps as far as us building a bond within the classroom and them feeling comfortable when it comes to public speaking. So I, even though public speaking isn't a standard, I still provide them with that skill. Yeah, it's a life skill. It's a life skill to be able to speak, to stand up in front of a crowd and speak audibly 
and confident absolutely. and um, be well informed in doing so. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing those um, those resources as you were as you were calling them out. I was writing them down <laughs> um, because I'm always, like I said, trying to build my bank of knowledge on ways that I can be better for the scholars that I serve. While I know that the classroom is not my end all be all um, within this educational work, absolutely. Um, while I'm here, I want to make sure that I'm capitalizing on every opportunity that I have to be great for them. You have to. Um, what is something that you would love to leave with listeners as like a, I guess a final piece of message. And I got a couple other things for you toward the end, but what is something that you would want? What is an idea or a thought or just a message that you would want to leave with our listeners um, as we close this out today? Um, a, a message that I would like to leave. <laughs> if a student, if you know a student's background and as educators, you should really get to know your students. If you know that a student may be experiencing something at home, do not allow that experience to hinder your child's education. Do not allow the experience to limit them to to being successful. Every day is a new day. Do not hold grudges to a child. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's all I have to say on that. Like, give them the opportunity daily Mm -hmm. to grow. Do not hold them back. Do not be the reason. Do not be the reason to hold them back. Yeah. Do not be that reason for them not making it. Be the reason that they do make it. Absolutely. I like that. that. And it's hard. I'm going to just just state that out there. (laughs) It's hard. I am. I am. Who we? It is uh, hard. Like, very. Some sometimes jokers walk up to my door and I just be looking like I don't want to see you today. <laughs> I need to see you tomorrow or something. I ain't ready to see your face again today. But I gotta let it go. Right. Just give me five minutes. Them, you know. Got to start them fresh. Because, and the thing is, scholars know when you have um given when you're giving them a clean slate and when you're not. They know when Absolutely. you are. Absolutely. When you're when you're they know when you're when you're um. When you got something held to get above their head or not, they will act in a way that lets you know that they're aware. And it's like, or they'll even say something like, you expect me to be bad today anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, or they'll or ask you a question to- like, um, did I have a good day today? Or mm-hmm. like they, they, they kind of probe you to see pretty what much you how you feel this? about them. How you yep. feel about them. Yeah. They would definitely <laughs> ask. Um, and when, when those things happen, um, when those things happen, it's a message. It should it should be a message to us, like, hey, I did I either may have done I may have done or said something that made the scholar feel as though I was, you know, looking for them to do a particular thing negatively. Correct. Um, so let's make sure that we're also being equitable in our expectations of our scholars when it comes to things um behavioral and academically um inclined. Indeed. Um Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We have we have those scholars who who have our hearts, and at times, even when the the kids who have our hearts mess up, we we you know we'll sweep it under the rug. We'll give them a little slap on the hand, but don't let that terror in that classroom, the <laughs> one that you already know, go come and show out. Don't let them be done did to do, because they ain't. <laughs> it's gonna be hard for them to start brand new. Yeah, in my mind, mentally. <laughs> as as we uh, as we grow and, and develop. As um, as classroom leaders and, and school leaders, we, we we continue to to adopt um, a new growth mindset, and we 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 strive toward that every day. <laughs> we really do. Um, 
and for the listeners out there, I know that those that many of you are, are probably nodding in agreement, like, yeah, it's hard. It's not easy to get there like, a clean slate every day. You be done came in here and, and flipped the chair over and you don't got mad and now I'm supposed to be all right. Like, no. But no, it's right. It's a task. I would I would just say start working at it. I thank you for saying that because that was a message to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a message to everyone. <laughs> that was a message. Like I needed that. Oh man. Um as we sign off, let the people know, Justin, where they can find you, where they can actually catch an eyeful of everything that I get to see on almost a daily basis of your instruction in class. It's always video recorded on Instagram. Where can they find your page? My Instagram page is quiet underscore storm five. And that is K W I E T underscore S T O R M five. Quiet, quiet underscore storm, storm five. Oh wow! Hey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, it has been a pleasure. Um, do you have any closing questions for me? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sir. I want you to think about that question that I left you with about segregated schools. <laughs> I've already, the, thing, the thing is, we, we already came up out of that. I already, already waved my white flag and told everybody, like, that is not my real idea. I wanted to play devil's advocate for the sake of the conversation. Love it. No. I do not believe in separated schools. I don't. I don't. I don't. Like, I don't. Um, however, um, I do still think heavily about the thoughts and the idea that was, that was um, proposed by W.E.B. Du Bois, though. You know, if it's not getting better, what's the point? Absolutely. Um, I agree. So... So my thing is, um, we need to identify as a people right now, as people of African, as African American people, as African American educators, as Black African American educators. Where will we stand in the midst of all of this? If it's not getting better, what's the point? So how does it start to get better? It begins with me. Yes, sir. So all the things that we were talking about, like um, you know, the whole entire idea of you being the voice of this of this um, episode was to um, expose and promote all the ways that you begin to help make it better in the midst of it not already being like kind of on the deep end. So listeners, I don't believe in separated educa- <laughs> um, educational experiences. I believe that all babies should have access to all things that, that, you know, they desire. Uh, but if it's not getting better, um, what's the point? And if it's not getting better, then look at yourself and figure out how you can be that, that, that voice or that, that piece of betterment for the whole entire situation. Correct. It has been a pleasure. Um, Absolutely. Uh, episode two is in the bag, and I'm grateful. Thank you so much to everyone listening for your patience and for your steadfastness and your support and your trust in this platform. Um, continue to send me great love and um, encouragement and even ideas of things that you would love to see come out of Teaching Podcast. And I'm all ears and always listening and definitely down to talk. Until next time, you all be easy, be blessed, be great.